Episode 30 of the Photon Podcast, Portable Solar Power, the conversation continues, coming up. AmateurRadio15.com presents Photon, the other ham radio podcast, sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at mtcradio.com. Now, here's your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN. Hey, what's happening? Thank you so much for coming back. I'm Kale, your host, Kilo 4 Charlie Delta November from the great state of South Carolina. And I'm an amateur radio operator producing these programs for you. Hope you enjoy them. We've been doing it for about a year, just a little bit over a year now, as we get into episode number 30. It's a lot of fun, and it's for you, the amateur radio operator, whether you're a new guy, whether you're considering getting a license, or when you, whether you've been around for years. I mean, there's a lot of guys that listen to the program that have been amateurs longer than I've been alive. So thank you all for coming in. We appreciate you being here with us. We think we've got something for you. Another great program. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. But first, got to give a shout-out to my friends Richard and Christy Lenore down in Paris, Texas. Those guys are doing a phenomenal job. I talk to people all the time, amateurs from, from local guys to, to people from all over the country and the world who have, who have done business with them, and they're happy every single transaction they have. So make sure you check them out at mtcradio.com. Now, this show, episode number 30, we're going to revisit, to an extent, episode number two. Episode number two was the very first time we met Jeremy, KF7IJZ, and Jeremy actually recorded episode number two from a hotel in North Carolina as he was traveling for business, which was really weird. But anyway, it was a great show. We talked about field day. We talked about solar power for amateur radio operators, but we didn't get really deep into the solar power discussion. And since that time, those questions have arisen time and time and time and time again. So we wanted to come back and devote an entire show to solar power, batteries, charge controllers, panels, and other stuff that you would need to get working solar power out in the field. This segment of the Photon Podcast is sponsored by the Kenwood TM281 2-meter mobile radio. Built to mil-spec standards and tough as nails, it's got 65 watts out. The famous Kenwood audio and a front-firing speaker, which makes it an ideal choice for your mobile environment. You can find your next Kenwood TM281 2-meter mobile radio at mtcradio.com. That's mtcradio.com. All right, Jeremy, thank you, man, for coming back with us. It's always good to have you on the show and sometimes even carrying the show for us, which I'm sure you'll do this evening, this afternoon, this morning, whenever the folks are listening. And uh, we're going to continue the conversation that we've been promising ourselves we would have since episode number two. And that is a continuation of learning about solar power and amateur radio. So, real quick, you are KF7IJZ. You're my first Z friend in the whole wide world. And just remind us a little bit about how you got into solar power and your YouTube channel, which can be found at YouTube forward slash KF7IJZ. Well, I, uh, I got into portable solar power because up until recently, um, when I was living in Seattle and then uh, the uh, Alexandria, Virginia area, I was living in an apartment and it wasn't feasible for me to have an HF station that you know I had connected to antennas and whatnot. So when I wanted to do HF, I had to go out to the field to do it. I had to go portable. Um, dragging you know, batteries around was fine. 
Uh, had even had a generator, that was fine. But uh, the more that I did it, the more interested I got in solar power because that's sustainable. I could potentially carry a smaller battery pack in and get more operating time. Uh, and so I, I basically just started wanting to learn more about how to solve that that power of, of or I'm sorry, that problem of sustainable power in the field. Sweet. And your experimentation, experiment, experimenting there got you to the point where you were you're producing videos for other amateurs and, and folks just who are generally interested in solar power. Uh, tell us a little bit about your channel. What's, what's going on over there? Well, um, I guess a little bit of background first. So, so I don't remember what episode it was, but Steve WG0AT, if you haven't watched his videos on YouTube, um, he has a lot of really great videos of him doing soda activations with his goats. And uh, I really got a lot of enjoyment out of that. And I was like, you know what? I, I have something that will record video. I, I can do that. And so the very first thing I shot is, um, boy, I don't remember the year, maybe 2011, the uh, Virginia Cuso party. I drove up to Skyline Drive, and I had a little camera mounted in, inside my car taking shots of the road, and it's it's beautiful up there. Um, and when I got home, it was really more just an exercise and kind of editing it and putting it together, and I, I found that I really, really enjoyed the editing portion as much as I did the shooting or even playing with the radio. Um, another thing that I, I really value, and I guess, I guess fast forward a little bit, and one thing that I really value um, in our internet world is the ability to share information and, and to give back. And since I was really enjoying making the videos and I was really enjoying doing amateur radio and starting to get into solar stuff, um, I basically decided, hey, I'm just going to run a camera kind of as I'm playing around with stuff just to, to share what I've learned with others. So um, I've had the channel for a few years now. Uh, by and large, it is about uh, portable solar power stuff for amateur radio. Although at this point, um, I owe a video to people about my latest power module, which I still haven't fully assembled. Um, but I'm really kind of starting to, to widen my topics a little bit. Like I'm no longer going to be just about solar power, but just, uh, you know, largely amateur radio topics and then other stuff that interests me as it comes along. Um, so honestly, right now, Kale, I've been so busy. I haven't even put a new video out hardly at all. I put one out since Dayton and I owe everybody like six. Yeah. I, I think that the top of the list is the, Pactena unboxing video. Well, the sad thing is I, that one is shot. It just hasn't been put together. But yeah, I have to do that, and then also uh, getting it set up. But in my defense, I didn't even guess how many contacts I made at field day. None. None. That's None. right. Zero. You didn't get to play. And I didn't get to play. So. <laughs> well, you missed it because the Pactena just was like shining like crazy, and all all the local guys were eating crow. And and they were calling me because I didn't stay overnight, but they were calling me the Sunday morning following, just on the phone and, and on the radio. You've got to get up here. This antenna is amazing. It was really cool. So, uh, really tickled for George and Nick that their product has has proven itself at least here in South Carolina. We knew it was a great deal. Uh, knew it was a really neat idea, but uh, to see those guys who were like, "This is not going to work." And have them calling me on the phone at you know six o'clock in the morning saying, "Get up here! This thing is working like crazy." It's kind of exciting. Oh yeah, that's awesome. I I still got to get out and put mine up and uh, give it a go. I actually even have a little mount on my deck that I could attach uh, the thirty three foot long <laughs> fiberglass mats to. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's still forthcoming. The yeah. other big thing, though, you know, kind of taking us back on topic, everybody wants to know what does my solar generator two look like, yeah. which. Um, 
if you go to my channel, you can see two videos that talk about going from the lead acid based old one that it was kind of a, an original design that was fun to build. And then taking all the things I learned from that and applying them to a new design and then going through my thinking in the new design. And so I've done everything except assemble. In fact, all the box, the box with all of the parts is literally sitting three feet away from me right now. Well, it's just, you know, you've only moved halfway across the country just a few months ago. Your wife is expecting you have a small child in the house. And, you know, I mean, life gets in the way sometimes. And four animals. Wow. So you've got one kid and four animals and I've got five animals. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, so we, we are here to talk about solar, guys, and we appreciate you letting us get through that. Uh, Jeremy's website, uh, his, his channel is great. You need to check it out. If you haven't been there yet, if you have, uh, not only just enjoy his videos, make sure you're telling somebody about them, share them with somebody, because there's a lot of great information there. Jeremy, I, I just spent some time this past Saturday with some friends, and we were talking about working on some local stuff here. And and I said, this week we're going to talk about solar power on the show and my buddy David Alpha Kilo Four Indigo Charlie was really excited. Uh, he he's really wanting to make the move into solar, and he said, "I hope you guys talk about everything." <laughs> so, yeah, David, we're going to talk about as much as we can. <laughs> uh, and really, there there's three there's three components, I guess, to a, a solar system, and and that would be the batteries, the charge controller, and the panels. And I would assume we would probably start with what everybody wants to know: what batteries. And we've covered that before, but let's let's do it again. Let's talk about the batteries, the types, and, and, and what would work good for, for most portable ham radio applications. Yeah, and, and kind of kind of taking a step backwards because the when you look at the system as a whole, the first thing that you need to do is understand what, what are your goals. Are you trying to operate a, a kx3 for four hours in a park or are you trying to operate like a yesu ft857 on a park bench for a week you know you you really kind of understand what you need to understand what what it is you're trying to do um in order to to make sure you're designing a system that is the right size for your application and kale i've shared with you a link um to a video that is kind of a long form version of everything we're going to talk about today and in that presentation I actually, there are several slides and actual formulas that help you understand, you know, how big of a battery you need and, you know, how big your solar setup needs to be. Um, So we'll definitely make sure that goes in the show notes. But starting off with the battery, and this is something a lot of, it's like anything else in life, right? It's, you buy the most battery you can afford at the end of the day. And batteries, like everything else, I, I, there is a, what I'll call a, golden triangle of factors around batteries and so there are three factors and you can optimize for any two of them and the three factors are portability energy density and cost and of course i could get a battery that's really portable but it's going to be expensive i can get a um a battery that has a high energy density that is portable but it's going to be expensive um, I could get a high energy density and a low cost, but I'm probably going to lose portability. And this all comes down to our battery types. At the end of the day, there are two primary battery types we talk about when talking about uh, portable solar power. The first is a lead-based uh, AGM, which stands for absorbed glass mat, or a gel cell. And those are basically lead-acid batteries that have uh, the fluids inside suspended in such a way that they won't spill and are less prone to explosions and bad things like that. And then you have your lithium chemistry, uh, which I focus exclusively on 
lithium iron phosphate is a much safer uh, lithium battery chemistry than like a lithium polymer, lithium ion. And while expensive, it is incredibly lightweight and has a really good energy density for its weight. Cool, cool. And uh, you like the more expensive batteries because of the lightweight. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I need to replace my old heavy batteries that I didn't take care of and uh, the, the sealed lead acids. Uh, because if you don't maintain them, they're going to they're gonna leave you hanging. And mine did. That's true. And the thing is, is that batteries in general just need to be maintained, regardless of the chemistry. And different things will kill the different battery chemistries. Um, as an example, if you lead acid batteries, you really shouldn't discharge. You really shouldn't discharge them below about 12 volts is a good guideline. That's generally considered a 50% depth of discharge. And if you know anything about RHF radios, they all say 13.8 volts plus or minus 15%. Well, it just so happens that minus 15%, um, that range hits at, I think, 11 point, like 11.75 volts. Mm. And that's below the 50% depth of discharge. So that's one thing you got to watch out for with uh, lead-acid batteries, especially since some of the current rates we're drawing at. If you see a battery that says 20 amp hours... That's 20 amp hours being discharged all the way down to 10.5 volts. And here I'm saying don't discharge more than half, which means it's only really about 10 amp hours. So they'll, they'll fool you. You need to be aware of that. And we've talked about that before. I mean, I, I had two 12, two 12 amp hour batteries and thought I had 24 amp hours of usage there. But in actuality, I probably had 12. And That's this, correct. My, my arm got longer as I would carry the heavy freaking thing. Yep, and that's an area where lithium batteries end up doing better because lithium batteries, they start with a higher nominal voltage of 13.2 volts versus 12.6, um, and they have a flat discharge curve. So what that means is as time goes on, as you're pulling energy out of the battery, the voltage drops at a lower rate than does it from a lead-acid battery, which means that voltage is going to stay higher where your radio wants it for longer. Um, in addition, the lithium battery is going to weigh nothing compared to the lead-acid battery. One of the, my favorite um, demonstrations I've ever done was with a, a group of uh, fifth graders for this science thing I helped participate in uh, back when I lived in D.C. And the topic was solar power, and I brought along a 7-amp-hour like UPS battery and an equivalently-sized lithium-iron phosphate battery. And you know the kids would pick up the lead-acid battery, and it'd be like, oh, that's really heavy. And they'd go to pick up the other one, and since it looked the same, they were pre-expecting it to be heavy, and they'd put all this force in it and virtually almost throw it across the room um, because they weren't expecting it to be so light. And there is a dramatic difference. I mean, it's, it's virtually one of those apples, oranges, daytime, nighttime, black and white kind of differences in the weight for those batteries. And it's all due to the chemistry. Absolutely. Now, on the downside, like in those batteries in particular, um, I could get a 7-amp-hour lead-acid battery, an AGM battery, off the Internet for, let's say, 20 bucks. And I know there's people who will tell me I could get them for less. And to get the equivalent size uh, lithium-iron phosphate battery, you're going to pay five or six times that. So, again, I'm maximizing portability and I'm maximizing energy density, but I'm trading off you know, affordability or cost. So this goes back to the soda discussion ounces equals pounds so you, and, you really have to decide which way you want to go yep and ounces also equals dollars yeah yeah all right so you're a guy like me who has a box that's too heavy to carry anywhere other than say the local fire department or 
to a park that you're going to set up on a picnic table and, and not pack in somewhere, um, am I going to look back at the AGM type batteries or for the for the cost and pay the pay the price for the weight, or am I going to consider these lithium batteries uh, just to get the actual service out of them? Well, again, I mean that it really is all a personal preference. I mean, honestly, before I even knew the lithium batteries existed, you know, I used to schlep around a 20 amp hour lead acid battery everywhere I went, you know, and I, I carried it places and it was just the cost of doing business. And then at some point when I found these lithium batteries, to me, it was worth it to give up the weight in order to get more portability. But, um, you know, again, at, at the end of the day, you'll, it really is a personal decision about the best way to go because functionally all you really care about is, well, how long am I going to run my radio? All right. How about another question real quick to to kind of go off the portability thing but come back to the shack uh which one would i consider for a in shack type backup battery system so probably lead acid okay and mainly because in a, in a shack backup if you want a backup that's 100 amp hours that gets, starts to become incredibly expensive on the lithium iron phosphate side now um this also brings up a point that I accidentally skipped over earlier where you talked about you killing your batteries. Yeah. The trade-off, a lead-acid battery, it can be trickle-charged, it can sit there, fine, whatever. Lithium-iron phosphate batteries, they need a lot more intelligent charging. You know, you need to make sure that they're not getting overcharged and that there's protection built in to keep them from getting overcharged or you'll damage the cells. You need to make sure they don't get over-discharged. you got to make sure that, that those cells don't really get below 2.8 volts per cell um, or you'll kill the battery. And that you need a lot of electronics to help you do that. Um, so that's one of the things is that the AGM battery is a little more fault tolerant. And if you do kill it, you're not out as much money for the energy density. But um, you absolutely could use lithium iron phosphate in the home if you wanted to, if you wanted to spend the money on it. But I mean, if you think about it, it's a battery that's sitting in a box or under your desk. So you're not, the portability isn't really a factor. Um, and you could get a lot more capability by spending less money and buying more AGM batteries. One thing we need to, we need to come back to and just hit this again is if you're going to use the lithium style batteries, make sure you have the smart charging, the, uh, the, the poly switch built into the battery. If you can, you can get them that way, right? Get them yeah, built but in? in in the packs in the packs we're talking about generally the 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 protection circuitry is more than it's more than just a poly switch. There's okay. actually a little microcontroller inside. Um, but then the chargers that we use, they're not a simple like little battery tender. Although yeah. some of them can be charged off a battery tender. Um, and something else too is in lithium packs, the four cells in the battery themselves need to be what's called balanced, where they're all brought up to up to or down to the same voltage so that, you know, it's that whole the weakest link in the chain is the weakest link in the chain. That was profound. That was. Um, but anyway, I mean, the cell that, that is the weakest ends up, being, you know, your, your battery is no better than your weakest cell. And balance charging ensures that they're all kept about in the same place. Now, when, when we go to the links that we'll have to find these types of batteries, the AGMs, and of course, AGMs can be found on eBay, Amazon. I mean, you can buy them at Battery Plus. You can get them at the freaking uh, sports, sporting goods store to put in your solar-powered deer feeder if you want to. Uh, the lithium batteries, when we when we go to shop those, um, is there? Will we find the types of chargers that we need 
at the same place or is there a better charger that you would recommend for a lithium style battery or is that just like a personal preference kind of thing well this is another one of those areas where knowledge is power so um there is a company called elite power solutions or systems i can't remember but i'll make sure we have the link right they're the ones who provided my prismatic cells for my big battery module um you, they have a charger that you can buy from them that looks like a dumb charger. It's a box with a couple of cables, and you plug it in, that's it. Because I like collecting data and paying more attention to my batteries, I bought um, the charger that I have separate of that as a charger that's made for like RC electric, uh, like electric uh, cars and planes. Mm-hmm. And it's programmable to charge like any type of battery chemistry, and it has a data logging module and, and stuff. So, um, most of the places that are going to sell these batteries uh, are going to have some charging option. And then there are, you know, like when we're talking about the seven amp hour size battery, that battery is actually designed to be a direct replacement for lead acid. And so some of these batteries have the circuitry in them to even be able to be charged off of a traditional lead acid uh, battery charger. So just again, because we, we're just, we're talking here, we're not offering advice, uh, you know, to give the caveat there, uh, make sure you know what you have, what you're buying, and that you have a comparable charger that can do what you need it to do without blowing your shack up. Because they can that's, be dangerous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's actually the very reason why I, I recommend lithium iron phosphate over any other lithium-style technology. Because at least if it catastrophically fails... It vents some gases that smell terrible that you probably shouldn't breathe, but it's not going to set it. Well, it's likely not going to set your house on fire versus some of these other things. You know, they can get dangerous and they can get super hot when they fail. Right. Um, and I mean, honestly, lithium is the type of thing that I, I you you I highly recommend you do your research. I know it's it's huge in the in the the KX3 owners like to go buy these little. Uh, four amp hour like hobby king batteries that are made for like electric flyers or airsoft guns or something um but you know they're the type of thing if you if you're not paying attention you don't know what you're doing you you could cause an accident with it all right so when i go on these battery websites i see like a li4 poe all these different letters what what letter description are we talking about for this chemistry with this lithium battery that you prefer Specifically, Li, mm-hmm. which is the lithium, Fe for iron, PO4 for the phosphate. So, L, so basically, LIFEPO, some people call them, mm-hmm. LIFEPO4. Okay. I'll make sure we get that correctly, not with Kel's dyslexia, because <laughs> I'll blow it up. Guys, we're going to come back in just a couple of minutes here, and we're going to continue our talk on the greatness that is solar power. And Jeremy's going to continue to share with us charge controllers panels and hooking it all up in just a minute stay tuned here to the photon podcast hi everybody it's christine at main trading company in paris texas we just want to take a moment to say thanks to all of you guys for your support throughout the years six years in business now after four different locations the addition of our very own post office ham radio and local honey just seem to go together main trading company celebrating six years in the ham radio business Thanks for all your support.
This segment of the Photon Podcast is brought to you by the ICOM IC V80 2-meter VHF Handy Talkie Radio. The IC V80 is perfect for your go bag, bug out kits, or backup emergency use. Powered by AA batteries, the ICOM V80 Handy Talkie will be ready to use when you need it. Click on over to mtcradio.com to order your ICV80 Sport today. Yep, it's segment two, and we're back with Jeremy, KF7IJZ. I'm your host, Kale, Kilo for Charlie Delta November. Thank you so much for staying with us here. It's always uh, good to have you sticking around with us as we go into our second season here. Jeremy, can you believe that? It's uh, season number two. We're into year number two for this podcast. For, let's break away from solar just a minute. Can you believe we did this for this long? No, I, in fact, I, you and I have had many conversations along the way. You know, I can't believe we made it to five episodes. I can't believe we made it to ten. <laughs> um, can I ask you an honest question, though, that I, I'm guessing a lot of our viewers are going to wonder? Absolutely. How did we get like 27 or 28 episodes in one year if they're every two weeks? I, you know, we did the 6B, right? Uh, but was was it a leap year? Maybe I don't know. I was kind of curious about that too because people were congratulating me at twenty six. I'm like, hey, we haven't been on the air for a year, but thanks. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know. Maybe there was a two weeks in a row with a show, but in season two, we we will strive to count better. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened, guys, but but I know that we we've made like thirty something thirty shows, and you guys are still listening to them, so we appreciate it. I still can't believe I, I still can't believe we're here. You know, no, I I can't either because I just in a, you know for a little bit of nostalgia. It was um, what either two or three weeks ago, a year ago. I was in a hotel room in Charlotte, North Carolina, outside of the airport, recording with you. Yeah, having no clue what would become of this. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about solar power and field day twenty fourteen. Yeah, you know. And here we are, and man, what a, what a ride! I go back and look, and I'm like, hey, I forgot we did that. That was a good one, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> folks listening, we genuinely appreciate you being here and sticking with us. Uh, also, telling your friends, sharing the show on your social media platforms—that's really huge. Uh, just like Jeremy's uh, YouTube page, uh, YouTube channel, uh, we need you guys to let people know what we're doing because it helps the show grow, helps to bring more listeners in with the support the numbers etc etc but we thank you for taking your time again and we're going to get right back at it because we stopped talking about batteries which is like the question everyone wants to ask and and this next question may be a little maybe a little forgotten sometimes or maybe pushed back to the end because they want to put something before it but uh working our way back from the battery the next thing in line is a charge controller and, you know, I mean, am I going to go to Harbor Freight and buy one or what? I mean, I've got no idea what I would even purchase if I was going to buy a solar charge controller. Well, you've kind of nailed it. I mean, it's it's the one component that people understand the least. And it is kind of the glue that brings your whole system together. So a charge controller, very simply, is a device that takes a connection from your solar panels, has circuitry in it, that is specific to the type of battery you're charging. In other words, there are charge controllers that will charge lithium iron phosphate batteries. There are charge controllers that will charge lead acid batteries. Um, I didn't know that. And then, yeah. I oh, no, yeah. I, yeah. I just been like, hey, charge controller, plug it up, you know? Yeah, well, I'll talk about it here in a second because actually, 
ignoring the monitoring requirements, charging lithium iron phosphate batteries is easier. It's a less complex process than charging lead acid batteries. But okay. so anyway, it takes solar panels and it, it there's circuitry in there and it takes the electricity and charges a battery. So it connects to the battery. Um, that's it at its absolute simplest. It'll have, you know, four terminals, two for the solar, two to the battery. Um, because uh, AGM batteries generally have a two to four stage charging algorithm where there's pulsing of electricity and all kinds of stuff, um, that's usually handled by the microcontroller. Um, but the lithium iron phosphate is a simpler process because it's a constant current charge until the battery reaches. Um, it's peak voltage, and then it switches over to a constant voltage where it lets very little current go into the battery. And so it's dead simple. You could charge, and uh, what is it they say? Do not try this at home, and if you do, it's under your own volition. Um, there's actually a really great video uh, from a guy named Afro Tech Mods, I think, who explains this. But you can charge a lithium iron phosphate battery just using a desktop scientific power supply that's current limited, um, which was really cool because if I now have a charge sitting around for my batteries i can just hook it up real quick but don't do that at home unless you know what you're doing and we take no responsibility if you try um so the charge controller there's two major categories there is um one that's called a pwm or pulse width modulation and the other one is an mppt a maximum powerpoint tracking um at a high level the pulse width modulation um it uses the like I said. There's a little microcontroller that has the algorithms that charges the battery. But at the end of the day, it basically loads the solar panel down to whatever voltage the battery is at in that stage of charging, which may not be the most efficient use of power going into the charge controller. And the maximum power point tracking charge controller solve this by separating the voltage or separating what the panel's getting loaded down to from you know electrically separating it from what voltage the battery is at. And there's a little computer inside that starts loading the panel down at different current rates. And it does that until it maximizes the power. And, of course, if we remember um, from basic electronics that power is equal to current times voltage. And so it just works until it gets the maximum amount of power out of, um, of the panels and then sends it on into the battery. So they are more efficient. There are some people that would tell you that they're not more efficient enough to justify the cost. Um, but there are a couple of what I consider low power or low cost maximum PowerPoint charge controllers that are perfect for amateur radio applications because they do not make RF noise. In fact, the guy who designed them is a ham, um, and he explicitly made them so they don't pollute the airwaves with you know HF hash. Um, but they're pretty affordable for around seventy eighty bucks uh, for one that'll do up to five amps. Wow, who makes that one? So it's a company called Genesun. Um, they, uh, I, I've, I, re I love their products. I absolutely love their products because they're very well designed. They come in very nice Hammond cases. Um, they make, they're one of the few companies that I have seen that actually make lead acid, uh, charge controllers as well as lithium iron phosphate. Um, the folks are super knowledgeable. They answer your questions if you have them. Uh, but I, I just love their charge controllers and they're absolutely RF dead quiet. They're very well designed charge controllers. Nice, nice. And and you can purchase from the from the manufacturer. Is this an Amazon item or where do we find them? 
it's it's directly from them at genesun.com, which uh, we'll also make sure there's a link um, in the notes. As far as the pulse width modulation ones, you're going to be able to find PWM chargers for twenty, thirty, forty bucks. Um, when you're buying a charge controller, the main two ratings you care about are, are the voltage, and then of course, I'm assuming everything we're doing for amateur radio is twelve volts. Um, but there are some charge controllers out there that could take say twenty four or thirty six volts in and then output twelve. Um, so anyway, the two things are voltage and then the current. And the current you pick is really going to be more related to um, how much current are you getting out of your solar panels. Now, one other thing about charge controllers is that some charge controllers will actually have a load circuit. So for instance, um, and I get this question a lot, if you have your panels going into the charge controller, the charge controller to the battery, um, some charge controllers will have no load circuit. And in that case, you connect your radio or whatever else, your, your field portable cappuccino machine directly to the battery. Um, if there is a load circuit and your load is not going to exceed the current limit of that load, then you can connect it to the charge controller load circuit. And why KF7IJZ, is there a load circuit on the charge controller? Well, it's primarily because sometimes you can get some nice features like a low voltage disconnect. Um, so, for instance, the Genesuns, the 5 amp versions, they won't let you draw the battery down to the point that it's dead dead um, if you run your load through them. Of course, if you run your load directly to the battery, that they can't help you. Um, so that's kind of a nice feature, but it's not necessarily required. Nice. And uh, that's the Genesun that's a lot smarter than the typical charge controllers you'll find hanging out online somewhere mm-hmm. alright so we've got some of the charge controllers make noise other ones don't like the Genesun uh, what what creates noise inside a charge controller and, and we know why the noise is bad because we're trying to hear some dude on the other side of the world but uh, what, what makes it inside that, that device I mean it's, it's a basically circuit designs that don't work to suppress all um, EMF emissions. So, you know, it's the equivalent of having a bad switching power supply. And it's unfortunate because price does not guarantee that you're not going to have it. Um, I've had a $20 10 amp, no name brand, one hung low Chinese charge controller that was absolutely RF quiet, pulse with modulation. And then I have a very expensive 15-amp maximum PowerPoint tracking charge controller from uh, Morningstar. It's the Sunsaver MPPT, and Morningstar is a premier brand of solar stuff. And it puts off a, uh, it puts off a, a noise every 50 um, kilohertz from 40 meters all the way up to 10 meters. That makes it kind of useless. It really does. And, boy... After finishing that box and getting it out there in the field, I mean, you can work around it. You know, the noise blanker will kind of take care of it. But it was really disappointing to see such a, a well-respected company be so sloppy in their design. So when we're talking about portable solar ops here, I mean, really, we're, we're saying that the Genesis is the one that's probably going to suit your needs the best. I mean, it's the one I'm going to officially endorse. And like I said, they have they have lead acid versions, mm-hmm. and they have lithium versions, and you can even set the you can even um, get the lithium versions and for lithium iron phosphate, lithium polymer, and lithium ion. But okay, so let's let's cover this again because going back to the battery thing, it's all about charging to your specific chemistry. Don't be dumb and and hook it up wrong. 
and we're we're going down the same road again with the charge controllers because they're charging battery scale, but uh, they need to be specific to what you're charging as well. Exactly, because at the end of the day, they're no different than any other battery charger. It's just rather than plugging them into the wall or a 12-volt power supply, you're plugging them into the sun. I mean, not directly, of course. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of uh, this question, I, I see this question a lot about people that are, are doing battery charging, and, and this maybe could have gone under batteries, but let's cover it here. Doing battery charging, doing solar battery charge controllers, and they want to hook up the controller, and they want to hook up the battery, and they want to hook the radio up all at the same time. Uh, and it seems to make sense if you look at it. But, you know, you guys, last, uh, the 2014 field day in Virginia, when you guys were up there in the field all day on solar, uh, you were charging as well as feeding the batteries, as well as using the batteries, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. So the, the question comes up there. You hear it and see it all the time on, on the net and the forums and whatnot. Guys are asking, okay, so how do I do that? How do I keep it from going back one way when I'm trying to get it in the other way? So is, well, is that the charge controller helping you there? So not well, if you are running your load through a charge controller, yeah, there's there's I'm sure diodes or something to keep it from backfeeding. But if you're if you have your uh, charge controller going to your battery and you have your radio or your load connected to your battery, um, at that point, the battery and I, you know, I've spent time experimenting with this and, and trying to research the science behind it. And unfortunately, I don't have a great answer, but effectively, the battery just kind of acts like a giant capacitor. Um, so at the end of the day, without getting into the science of it, because I don't know, all I know is it works just fine. Fabulous. Well, hey, it works. That's a great answer because it's it's a, a, a very layman answer. I like layman answers. Not the banker layman people, but layman. I mean, what I what I can tell you is if you think about it at the end of the day, like what's coming off of the, the charge controller and what's coming from the battery, right? So your radio becomes a big resistive load. Um and, you know, you have two current sources. You have the charge controller and the battery. And I can tell you that when you're drawing from it, technically some of the electrons going to the radio came from the charge controller and not necessarily just the battery. Um, but, I mean, yeah, so you're, you're pulling power from both sources at the same time. But like I said, as long as your voltages are good, you're not anywhere near the, the low or, the or sorry, the, the discharge voltage of the battery, you're fine. It works just fine. Fantastic. Thank you for clearing that up. I know someone out there was wanting to know that because I see that question all the time. So you're welcome, whoever was asking. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. All right, so we, we talked about charge controllers. Is there anything else that we, we need to cover about the charge controller? Uh, we want to look for one that's low noise. We want to look for one, of course, that's portable and uh, one that is uh, is made for the type of battery that you intend to charge it with. Yeah, that's that, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, without getting into larger charge controllers that you could use to build, um, you know, like either home systems or even uh, like if you had a shed that mm -hmm. was off the side of your house and you wanted it to be completely solar, there are some medium-sized charge controllers out there made by people like Midnight Solar or Outback. Um, but yeah, otherwise you pretty much nailed it for the portable amateur. Fabulous. And that's who we're talking to today, folks. All right. So, uh, We've got batteries, we've charged in the batteries, but we don't have anything to charge them with because we haven't talked about solar panels yet. I mean, it's solar, so old soul has to get into the battery through the charge controller, through the panel. 
So let's talk about panels. Now, your video, which we had up a few weeks ago, we'll, we'll probably toss it, but the field day video was great. I loved it. Uh, Power Pole of the World. And uh, as, as Wise Gerald said that day. But, uh, you know, you guys were using folding panels and running 100-watt rigs and, and having a blast all day. And it was, it was amazing what you guys were doing. So we, we, you, you can get the folding panels. You can get the Harbor Freight prop up on, you know, the side of the barn for $149 a kit. Uh, I'm, I'm a guy that's interested in soda, working IOTA, things like that, uh, portable operations with solar power. Jeremy, what's going to what's going to be my best bet? Well, for portable, um, you are probably going to wind up buying a thin film type uh, solar panel. So, um, Power Film, whom uh, I they have been wonderful to me. They uh, they are the ones who provided me those 120 watt panels uh, that you saw in the field day video. Um, they are pioneers in the solar power, uh, industry. Uh, in fact, their solar panels are, if I remember correctly, and I should fact check this, but I'm 99% sure are actually the ones on the international space station. They've been at it for a long time and their, their whole focus is making things that are, are portable because if, you know, you look at most solar panels out there and they're rigid, they're in a glass and aluminum frame and they weigh a lot and they're not, you know, very, they're not flexible at all. Um, so yeah, if you, if you want portable, you're going to go with a thin film type. Now, overall, there are three types of solar panels, uh, or th- predominantly three that the, the radio amateur will care about. Number one is called polycrystalline. Number two is monocrystalline. Um, and the number three is thin film. And the polycrystalline might also be known as amorphous. Um, from a terms of efficiency, and when we talk about efficiency, we primarily talk about how much energy can I generate for the same area? So, in other, a square foot of monocrystalline panels will generate more energy than a square foot of amorphous or polycrystalline panels, which will probably generate more than thin film. And I say that because the thin film efficiencies um, are kind of all over the place. But as a general rule, a thin film is going to be physically larger as far as surface area goes. But if you compare one of those um, those 120-watt panels that I have from PowerFilm weigh 7 pounds a piece when they're all folded up. Well, they weigh when they're not folded up. But they're 7 pounds, and you're going to probably have maybe 10 pounds in a, a polycrystalline, um, you know, uh, rigid panel. Okay. All right. So the the folding thin is what we're looking for. Uh, because we are talking portable operations. That's what we're back here talking about from episode number two is portable solar operations. Uh, the polyfilm, and we, we have those in the Photime store if you guys are interested, and we've actually had people buy them from the episode number two, which is pretty cool. But uh, those were very impressive. Even the smaller ones that were running, I think the smaller, uh, maybe the U-Kits radio or something, you had a smaller folding... Yep. Which one was that? So that was that was the twenty watt power film. Okay. Um, and I, I do want to say though, because this you bring up a good point that we didn't really clarify earlier. Is what is your definition of portable? For me, portable was I was driving in my car somewhere, and so I had all the cargo carrying capacity I wanted. Versus portable, I'm strapping it on my back and, and hiking seventeen miles straight up a cliff. Right. Um, because you know there for field days before. I have used um, a 120-watt array from Goal Zero 
there was a it was an array of four 30 watt panels uh, but it, it mounts on a tripod and it was plenty portable getting it from my house out to the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was nice and big and sturdy, but it wasn't as convenient as having this foldable, you know, seven pound deal. Cause all told when you get those panels together in the tripod for the same 120 Watts, I'm at like 50 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the one that you can just lay out on the grass or hang up on the side of your pop-up tent rocks it pretty good. Yeah. yeah, but now again, just like batteries, there's there's a, a trade off triangle or a golden triangle for solar panels, and the, the the three corners are portability, cost, and efficiency, very similar to the batteries. So I can have a very portable and a very efficient panel, uh, but I'm going to pay a lot for it. Or I can have a good, like a, a low cost portable panel, but it's not going to be very efficient. Or I can have a very efficient low-cost panel, but it's not going to be portable. Um, case in point, monocrystalline 120-watt or 250-watt panels uh, are, are not really all that big. I mean, you can get a single 250-watt panel that's probably going to be... Actually, I'm not even going to guess because the panel form factors, you can Google that pretty easily. Um, but it's going to be a single panel that you can lug around as opposed to having this big grid of two-by-two two panels. And it's plenty portable for some people, and it's actually less than a dollar a watt, which is a really good deal. The 120 watt foldable panels that we had at Field Day, their retail value is two thousand dollars a piece, versus two hundred dollars. Right. So, you know, you pay for that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, if you're a serious amateur and you're like doing de expeditions or or doing some really hot soda stuff, I mean, that may be. I mean, you've already bought a freaking KX3, right? So, I mean, what's a two thousand dollar solar panel? <laughs> yeah, but I, I will tell you um, specifically for the KX3 case, um, a really good combination is the Genesun um, lithium iron phosphate charger, one of the uh, A123 systems, 12 ALM7 um, uh, uh, battery modules, and then a 20 watt power film panel. That will virtually allow you to operate all of daylight indefinitely. And we cannot get through an episode without bragging on our KX3s that Kel don't have. But that's okay. Yeah, I have a feeling that'll happen until we get KX4s. Yeah, maybe K4 CDNXs or something. I don't know. <laughs> Doubt it's going to happen. I did. I did get a picture from uh, one of the one of the George sent me a picture of one of the Elecraft guys operating at their field day at the Baynet. That was pretty cool. And yeah, that, those, new, uh... those guys really helped out the Radio Nepal folks too. So that was that's pretty awesome as well. But yeah, they're, they're they're pretty awesome all around. Yeah. God bless America and their manufacturers. All right, so uh, look, I don't have two thousand dollars to buy a solar panel, and you know I'm not, I'm not going down that road. But okay, I can't afford a two thousand dollars solar panel. So okay, I need to buy something because I've got an eight seventeen. All right, and I want to take my eight seventeen down to the lake and operate from the boat dock with a vertical antenna of some sort, a pack antenna. George. A pack tenna. I'm taking a pack tenna with my 817, and I'm going to operate from the boat dock with a uh, with a solar panel. So what what is what's available to me for for like, you know, I don't want to scare people off thinking they can't go do solar. You know, I mean, we're, we're the working man show here. We're the happiest guys in ham radio. What what can we afford to to do to get that done? So. You can probably get away with going online. And finding a for that maybe thirty to sixty watt panel, and find 
the cheapest panel that you are comfortable with its size. For instance, if you look at the Harbor Freight panels, they have 15-watt polycrystalline panels that are the same size as a 120-watt monocrystalline panel. I mean, they're the same, like, 3 by, you know, 18 inches. Right. Um, they're just really horrendously inefficient, but you can get the power you need. Um, honestly, I have a new brand of panel that I uh, I am really liking because for the portable applications, they offer several different form factors like suitcases or just single standalone panels. Um, they have a couple of flexible options, um, some of which are really they're designed to be kind of permanently mounted on top of a boat or a golf cart. Um, but they're flexible, not in the fold it up and take it, but you can roll them. Uh, if I remember correctly, but the company is called Renogy. Um, that is Romeo Echo November Oscar Golf Yankee Renogy, um, and it's something I highly recommend you add to uh, the Amazon store because that's a good place to get them. Uh, but if Ed W four EDF bought one of their suitcase solar chargers, which was just a sixty watt job, and I think paid two hundred for it. Um, and for it being portable and having a built-in charge controller, I was I thought there was no way for the price that it was going to actually put out a legitimate 60 watts of energy. And as it turns out, it does. And um, everybody I know who buys their panels ends up really liking them because they're, they're a good value. Um, so I think that would be my recommendation for the value conscious, not necessarily the cost conscious. If you're really cost conscious, um, check out eBay and just look and see what you can find. Is there anything, when we're thinking about this, uh, anything that we that's like the the big red flashing light, don't go there, kind of don't buy this, or this will, it may look good, but uh, it's still a pig, although you put lipstick on it kind of a thing. Man, there's a lot of stuff in solar like that. There are, um, okay, well, first let me, of all. Let me, let me rephrase it then. What what is the number one thing for the for the guy who's getting into solar as an amateur radio operator? What is the number one thing to look for when he's looking for a panel? The number one thing is going to be you know how big the panel is versus the price um, versus the size. Yeah, that's not one thing. So the. Let me go back to your original question, okay. because the one thing I will say is everybody loves to talk about these Harbor Freight kits. Just don't do it. Um, for, the, for the size of the panels, like, yes, it's, if it is literally the only thing you can do to get in a solar, okay, fine. But it is really, I, granted, I'm a buy cheap, buy twice kind of person, you know, buy once, cry once. Um, solar is one of those areas where, especially now with the Renogy products, like, save a few more extra pennies and you can get something that is much higher quality. Um, and actually that's the other cool thing about solar too. Like we said, there are three components. There's your batteries, your panels and your charge controller. Start off by putting money into one of those things and then upgrade as you can. Um, but yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it, the reason that it's hard to say you can't just pick one thing is because there is a premium in the marketplace for putting the words solar and portable in the same sentence. Like that's the biggest lesson that I've learned. If you buy these 235 watt house panels all day long for 220 bucks made by Sharp or Kyocera, they're just huge and they're really heavy and they're heavy duty. So it's not exactly portable, but they're only 200, you know, like I said, they're less than a dollar a watt. 
And the more portable you get, the more that that starts increasing by orders of magnitude. I got you. I got you. Well, we just need to be informed consumers, and that's one of the things we're trying to do here on the program this time through is to help you make your decisions and and learn more about solar power. Um, You know, and and there's a comment section on the website on, you know, that you can come on and ask questions. If you, you know, you got to, you want to know more about the topic, please come in and comment, go to Jeremy's YouTube channel, comment there, Uh, hit us on Twitter, Facebook or wherever. And, and we'll, you know, we'll go down these roads. I'll just refer you to Jeremy because he's a smart guy in the room, you know, you know, and I'll, I'll say about that. One of, one of my favorite things, um, about doing the YouTube channel really has been when hams contact me and legitimately have a question. And then I end up starting, you know, a, a conversation that'll go back and forth for a couple weeks and people will be like, well, what about this? And there have been times where my viewers have turned me on to products that I didn't know existed that were worth checking out. Um, there are other times where there are folks who are just completely, uh, absolutely lost. Like, uh, uh, they, they don't know their head from all, the hole in the ground and helping put people on the right path. Like that's, that's, that's half of the enjoyment that I get out of doing the YouTube channel is, is having those interactions. So I absolutely invite people to, um, get on my channel, uh, and, and ask me questions. You can find me on Google plus by searching for KF seven IJZ. Feel free to reach out. Um, and I will try to help steer you in the right direction. He may even help you determine your favorite crystal light flavor. I it's, it's Walmart brand cherry. That's the answer. That's the answer. Because it tastes like actual Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid for grown-ups. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's like the only thing in my life that has artificial sweeteners that I drink. And <laughs> the occasional diet soda. Like, I'm not a big fan of artificial sweeteners, but it is what it is. Yeah. Well, you can't have everything, right? You can't put stevia. You really can't. You can't put stevia or honey in Crystal Light. It'd be terrible. No, right. and I don't, like, I don't like stevia in cold drinks. Really? I don't drink cold yeah. drinks with stevia. I drink coffee when it's cold with stevia. All right, so, uh, and, and I drink sweet tea with sugar uh, when I drink sweet tea. Um, of course, that makes sense. We've got, the, we, we've got our parts now, uh, and we, we, we've been here a while, but let's, let's keep going. We've got our batteries. We've talked about our charge controllers. We've talked about our panels. What, what's the deal with hooking it all up? I mean, is it just black is negative and red's positive? I mean, effectively, um, like I said, the charge controller is going to be kind of the thing that ties it all together. You are going to absolutely want to use the thickest cable that you can, um, depending on you know your your setup. But uh, you know, the larger the cable, the lower resistance there is when there's a high current application, and your 100 watt HF radio is going to draw. Um, an average of 12 to 18, or sorry, 12 to 18, 16 amps on sideband, or 22 to 50 percent duty cycle on on, on CW. Um, so yeah, it's just important to use the largest cable that you can get away with for your application, and it is pretty simple. It is like you said, black is black, red is red. Now, one thing I will share with you as I built power modules. I have, uh, again, going back to our premise of power polling the world, I like buying these little packets at HamFest of different colored power poles. Like there will be orange ones and green ones and gray ones. Um, And whenever I build these boxes, I will generally use gray and green to indicate solar power in 
and then red and black for all of the things coming from the battery or going to the battery. And that's in an attempt to so that I don't plug stuff in and blow it up. I will also turn the power pole connectors 90 degrees um, so that they're stacked kind of one on top of another instead of side by side for, for the panel connections. Interesting. I like that. That sounds like something George would do. Smart people, man. Smart people. You gotta love smart people. Or you you learn through accidental trial and error. Yeah. When you blow your solar panel up with your <laughs> brand new two hundred dollar battery. Yeah. If you poured your antenna in the floor. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait to see that. Okay. I I thought we weren't going to talk well, about that. We're not. We're just going to show everybody. <laughs> now that it's the the beans have been spilled. It's time. It's time. All right. So uh, let's talk real quick because we've we've been here a while. Let's uh, let's let's wrap it up. What are some other things? And we talk about this all the time with George because George loves add-ons. What are some other things that we need to consider when we're building a solar-powered system? Uh, additional items that we, whether they're tools in the toolbox or actual items that we're using in the in the system itself. What are some of the things we need to think about? So one of the things that to me is a must is good meters. Um, up until a couple of years ago, you used to be able to buy these What's Up meters or um, Doc Watson meters that would just, uh, it's just a little four element display that shows your voltage current. Um, and then there's like a rotating display that shows you different um, factors and then total amp hours. I like to put one between my panel and my charge controller so I understand what I'm generating. And then I like to put one between the battery and my load so I understand how, how hard I'm hitting the battery. Um, nowadays, Turnigy is the brand that you'll find like in your local amateur radio store, and they're kind of expensive. Um, a pro tip there is look for little power meters at your friendly neighborhood uh, RC hobby shop or online at places like Hobby King because when they come from the RC world, they are much cheaper than they are when they come from the amateur world. So that's one thing. Um, and those are virtually the exact same thing from the same manufacturer. You're just paying more because you're buying it in a amateur radio specific shop, maybe? Oh, yeah. So for instance, the, the Turnigy one, when it was for RC, it was like 20 or 30 bucks. When they put power poles on it, it sells for like 70. So Put your own power poles on, save a bunch of money. Power pole the world. Power pole the world. So the meters are important. Um, another thing that's handy is having some type of a 12 volt to USB adapters. Um, there's, I can't remember. Oh, PowerWorks now makes one called the USB Buddy, which is basically a little RF quiet three amp um, USB to power pole dongle. But I like I like having an assortment of those, an assortment of cables like your traditional cigarette lighter 12 volt cables. Um, other folks stop, will stop there for just a minute. You're saying we need something that goes from say 12 volts to the USB output of what five volts? Yeah, I mean, because I I don't know about you, but I always like to have my phone charging. What? Um, if you if you use something like Nick's um, the Pignology Piglet for your logging and whatnot, uh-huh. um, you know, you need to keep your tablet charged, and that usually charges off a of USB. Um, so uh, to me, it's just one of those handy things that like, I, I always have with me when I have my solar portable set up as a way to do USB power. Well, I found a really sick little adapter that doesn't have power poles on it yet, but it's like $2 from China, I think. And it's got a, 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 di- a digital display, and I can't remember how high of a voltage it can take, but it has a USB female, I guess is what it's called, that you can plug in. 
and it was two bucks. And it's, it's oh, that sounds awesome. It's already soldered and everything. I'll send you a picture, and we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, I did find it on e on eBay, and I think I found the link. Uh, one of the guys on Arfcom posted it up, but I'll make sure you find. It. They're they're really sweet, and I bought like nine dollars worth of them. I haven't blown anything up yet, so. Anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to stop you there, but it's no, no. For, for two bucks, it's a nice little US, uh, 12-volt USB adapter or 24-volt USB, whatever it does. So now another thing you can look at is a, a device called a low-voltage disconnect, and there are a bunch of different versions of this. But basically all it does is it goes between your load and the battery, and it will disconnect your load at a certain voltage point. So you know, in lead-acid... Uh, like we said earlier, we try not to get it below 12 volts, so you may want to set it up so that it disconnects the load at 12 volts. For um, lithium iron phosphate batteries, you definitely don't want to go below 12 volts. Um, so that's actually, real quickly, another interesting thing. 12 volts is approximately 50% depth of discharge on lead acid, and it's like 80% depth of discharge on lithium iron phosphate, showing yet once again why that's a superior battery technology. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, low voltage disconnects are handy. Uh, I have there's one that you can get from PowerWorks that's actually meant f- to go on like ambulances and stuff, so that they don't run their equipment when the batteries are dying. Uh, but it works pretty good. It has a, a it's configurable for what the low point is, so I can use that either with a lead acid battery or uh, a lithium battery. But those are some of the big ones. I mean, some people will use inverters to power a laptop or have custom 12-volt laptop um, charging things, which were a lot easier to find back when Radio Shack was still a thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, so those are, are some of the, the major 12-volt accessories that uh, I would recommend, the metering especially. Okay. Because you're seeing what you're getting and you're seeing what you're using. Yeah. And buy the ones for the RC... Sorry, guys. Buy the ones for the RC. You get two basically for the price of one and a half. Yeah. Or if you, can find, if you can find the original doc, like WhatsApps. Um, West Mountain Radio makes one called like the Power Checker that when they first came out, they were, I mean, they were about a hundred bucks, but what was cool, they have a USB port and you can hook a serial terminal up to it and do data logging and all kinds of other cool stuff. But now they they sell for something ridiculous. So it's, I don't think it's worth it anymore. They're really nice meters, and they light up and have all kinds of different information they show. But they're not as they're they're not worth it, in my opinion. Unless you, unless you specifically need something that does data logging and don't want to just build something with an Arduino. Um, oh, that'd be a cool show, wouldn't it? What's that? Building a, a an Arduino powered yeah, you and Jerry, power thingy. You, y'all get right on that. <laughs> oh, I've been working on it. So I, I was going to build one for the power module um, that we did. Um, it was basically going to be a low voltage disconnect and reconnect and whatnot. Um, it's actually not that hard and you can build it with all off the shelf components. Wow. Cool. what did we forget? What did, what did we want to instruct our folks about solar that we haven't covered in this one hour? Um, I think the battery side, it's definitely worth doing a lot more research. Like I, I kind of feel like, we could have spent more time there, but I mean, compared to the charge controllers and the solar panels, um, there's a lot more knowledge needed about the batteries. Uh, the other thing that we didn't really cover and I highly recommend you look at my video is basically taking your radio and taking its specifications and trying to figure out how do I go from 
a radio that you know is a hundred watt HF radio? How do I go to from that to sizing out how big of a system I need if I want to go play HF in an afternoon? Um, a lot of that information is my presentation in the video we referenced as well. Um, lastly, don't plug black and red together no. unless you meant to. That suck. Well, I mean, if you're putting batteries in series, yeah, that's different. like if you're trying to go to a 24 volt system, but I don't know of any 24 volt amateur gear. Yeah. So, well, you could always put it up to 24, then get you, you know, step down and make it 12 again, and then bump it back up to 12, and then back down to 24. Yeah, yeah. you just keep going endlessly. Yeah, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, batteries uh, back when we had George and Gerald on for the uh, f- the field day show. And we, we covered a little bit about chemistry and whatnot there. So if they need some more, if they want to listen to us talk about batteries some more, you know, honestly, I think that we could probably do two or three shows just about batteries. But oh, probably, people yeah. Probably get tired of it after the first hour. But I mean, it's just it's it's like amateur radio, dude. I mean, dang, it's huge. You know? Yeah. It's just, it's oh, yeah. just a big topic to try to cover. Yeah. I mean, and that's something else too. Is just remember at the end of the day. These batteries are designed to carry a lot of energy in a small package. Be careful. Well, pay attention to what you're doing. Don't drop a screwdriver across the terminals. Take all you know suggested safety precautions when working with them, because um, you know accidents can happen and batteries can cause a lot of damage. You know, Jeremy, we take we really take for granted that 12 volts is not a lot of power. You know, I mean, you think about it. It's not like you're hooking into the mains. But I can tell you, as a former professional firefighter. There was a couple of times I had to go on some calls that were pretty nasty. Folks injured by, just like you're saying, dropped a long, flat screwdriver across both poles, didn't realize it, you know, and then they're going to the burn center. And that's not any fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, again, be careful. And, again, thank you for listening. Jeremy, we appreciate you being here. Where can we find you on the Internet? You can, uh, if you search for my call sign in any friendly search engine, KF7IJZ, um, you will find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash KF7IJZ. Um, you can also find me on Google Plus and Twitter, although I'm not as active socially. Um, but the Google Plus is a, a good way to get in touch with me as well as through my YouTube channel. You can also reach me directly at my ham email, which is KF7IJZ at gmail.com. Fabulous. And thank you again for being here. Speaking of Google Plus, before we go, there's now a Google Plus group for the Photime Radio listener. So you can find that on there as well. I think it's just Photime Podcast. So check it out. There's probably, I'll put a link in the show notes as well, but got some folks, got some folks over there looking to start some conversations. So that's a great place to go to. Google Plus, there's a lot of folks that are in amateur radio on Facebook, and there's a lot of folks that are in amateur radio on Google+. Plus. So if you're looking for our community, come join us. We'd love to have you. Jeremy, thanks for coming back on the show, man, and we look forward to having you back on again really soon. Well, thank you, Kale, and I look forward to the next year of episodes. Whoever knew. Whoever knew. All right, Jeremy, thank you again, dude. We appreciate you being here. You know, it's kind of funny. You were you were in the, the number two show of season one. You were in the number two show of season two. So it looks like we're uh, we're lined up for another year's worth of stuff happening. Again, thank you, dude. I know it was uh, it was tough to get on. We made the call really late one night, and it followed a tre- tremendous storm here in my local area. So it was uh, it was kind of a last minute gig, but we're glad we got it put together, and hope you guys enjoyed it. 
Hey, if you want to learn more, remember to go to the website, photimepodcast.com. photimepodcast.com. It'll take you to the show notes. You can check out the videos, the links, everything we talked about in the show. There's also a new Patreon link there. That's a way that you can help support the Photon Podcast if you choose. Hey, and don't forget, I believe I mentioned a few minutes ago that we're also on Google Plus now. So you can find us on Google Plus at Photon Podcast. We're all over Twitter. We're part of Facebook. We're out there. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the hobby. So make sure you connect with us. We're going to go, but we'll be back next time. And we so appreciate you listening to us. Don't forget to tell somebody about the podcast and let us know. Hey, you know, if you want to comment on the show, you got questions about something we talked about, please never hesitate to contact us. We're looking to connect with you. Till next time, y'all. 73. Thanks for downloading, listening, and subscribing to AmateurRadio15.com presents Bowtime, the other ham radio podcast. You can find our past episodes, web links, and more at AmateurRadio15.com. That's AmateurRadio15.com. Follow us on Twitter at Photon Podcast. And remember to visit our show sponsor, Main Trading Company, at mtcradio.com. Till next time, 73s. Nice. And uh, that's the Genesun that's a lot smarter than the typical charge controllers you'll find hanging out online somewhere. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Fabulous. And like I said, they're they're great for the hand because they don't make RF noise. And I guess other ones do. Maybe the lower cost is just the, the guts inside them can make hash now and then. Yeah, and it's, it's not even necessarily lower cost ones because I, I had... Um, I had a, a no-name Chinese one hung low pulse width modulation one that. Uh-oh, Jeremy. Somebody gave me one. Hello. Hang on. Once. Just it was like 20 bucks. It was a 10-amp model. It was quiet. Um, and then I have a, yes. Hang on. Yes. Hang on just a second. I'm, I'm getting a lot of latency here. Let's just. Pa- I'm here. Well, let's pause for Kale. just a Hello. Test, test, yep, test. I'm here. All right. Hang on just a second. I'm getting some latency. Yep. I want to. Yep, I'm here. All right. Want to make sure we lose the latency. You still there? Okay. Testing one, two, yes. three, four. Okay. You there? I can hear you good now. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's go back. Uh, I'll, I'll edit that yep, out. I'm here. Okay. You're gone. There I'm you gone. are. Okay. Am I here now? Now I'm, you're. Now I'm, you're back. I'm back. Good. Yes. One, two, three, four. Yes, I've got you. Five by nine. KF7IJZ and the group. <laughs> K4CDN and the group. KF7IJZ. Yeah, okay, okay. So uh, let's just go back and let me ask the question again. I'll, I'll just cut that real quick. And um, 